Amen. I'm Jeremy Nelson, and I am the lead pastor of Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church, and it's a privilege to be able to preach a message to you this morning. Uh, We are in a series in the book of Acts. Last week we finished up chapter 5, which means we start chapter 6 this week. Last week we talked about the struggle to stop the spread of the life-giving gospel. There were opponents of the work that the God continued to do through the apostles, and they wanted to see this spread of the gospel cease. So that's what we saw last week. The big idea was this. Though many attempts are made to stop the spread of the gospel, God ensures that it will advance through obedient, Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses. And that's what happened. There was opposition from the outside, but that could not stop the advance of the gospel. And as a result, the church in Jerusalem still, primarily, grew and grew and grew and began to experience growing pains. I remember when I was a kid, growing up, I would often have pains in my legs uh, and I'd complain to my parents and whine to them. And I remember them asking the doctor at some appointment and the doctor told them, well, that's just, that's just growing pains. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but that's what the doctor said. My parents believed it, I believed it, kind of thought it was pretty cool because I'm growing and I'm getting bigger. And so that's what these pains are for. Well, that's what we really see happening in the church here in the book of Acts. There's going to be some growing pains in the chapter we look at today. How is the church going to handle these growing pains? When, when not all of the challenges coming at the church are from opponents outside of the church, but sometimes just pains from within the church as the church grows and spreads. And so today's message is called this. Instead of stopping to struggling to stop the spread of the gospel, we're talking about selecting servants to support the spread of the gospel. So we're in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. If you have a Bible, I hope you open it and follow along as we go through. We'll put the words from the text on the screen next to me as well. But we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And the the thing that I think is really going to be helpful for us is this is so practical, practical and so applicable for us where we're at today as well. The problem not being, again, opposition from the outside, but a practical problem on the inside. So we're going to look at Acts, and we're going to see how are the leaders going to handle this situation? How will the gospel continue to advance as they address some church structure issues, really? Passages filled with practical application. I think it's going to be helpful for us. Uh, we do have up on our website and a link in the description below also uh, to a sermon notes and life group guide that you might find useful uh, as you walk through this. Actually, I think we call it an application guide since life groups aren't meeting, uh, but an application guide with some sermon notes there as well. Let's uh, pray and then we'll read scripture together. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you that you put us in this place, and I know that right now there's only a few of us in this place, but there's other people gathered around in different places around a screen uh, watching this, and we pray that as your word is read, that your spirit would work through it, uh, stirring up our hearts and minds, helping us to understand, uh, to be obedient, to apply what your word has to say, and I thank you that you reveal yourself so clearly to us. pray that you do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So here's what I'd like to do. Uh, a little bit different today. If you want to stand in your, in your house, you can. That's what we do in our church typically. But here's what I would like you to do. It will be on the screen. And I would like you to read it out loud with me as we walk through just seven verses. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Here's what God's Word says. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, if you stood up, thanks uh, for standing. You can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, And thanks for reading, too. I tricked you a little bit with that verse 5. We had to read all those Greek names together. We'll come back to those here in a little bit. But if you look at your outline uh, today, you'll notice that I've just broken this passage up into three sections. There's a problem, there's a solution, and then there's the result. That's what I saw as I walked through this. So we'll begin with the first one. We'll begin with the problem. The problem is there are important things being neglected. Now, this problem arises because of the circumstances of the church then. Remember at the beginning of Acts that the gathered church was about 120 people, all gathered in one area. But what's happened just in the course of a few days as the Holy Spirit comes and fills the apostles and all who believe, the, the gospel spreads rapidly so that thousands are now following Jesus. And so... Verse 1 begins with this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So that's the setting, right? But then what's happening? Because of this, because the disciples are increasing in number, some important things are getting missed. And so we hear of a complaint. A complaint by the Hellenists arose. We've got to slow down and understand what this means. This complaint was not like a formal kind of complaint. It's usually a word that meant kind of like murmuring or grumbling. There was some talk, maybe not even a formal complaint before any official leaders, just just some murmuring, some grumbling, people noticing something. The Hellenists, that is Greek-speaking Jewish believers. So in Jerusalem, most of the people there being Jewish, some of them, though, spoke Greek. They're called Hellenists. Others spoke Hebrew. Well, the complaint comes from the Hellenists, those Greek-speaking Jewish believers. And what is the complaint about? Well, it comes against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. See, the church is doing what Jesus would have the church do, and that is care for all the people within the church. These widows, there were both 
Greek-speaking or Hellenistic believers who were widows, and there were Hebrew-speaking Jewish-believing widows as well. What was happening, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is that one of these groups was being cared for and the other being neglected. So that's the problem we have before us here in Acts chapter 6. This is a real challenge because, you know, when there's complaining and murmuring and grumbling, that can start to break up the unity that really is required for the church to be focused on the mission. And so, this is actually a pretty serious issue. Certainly, it's serious for those widows who are in need because there's no other way for them to be provided for. The church is to do this work, and people are noticing this work isn't getting done. And so, the twelve apostles do this. It says, verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So, you see the, the dilemma for them. The gospel is rapidly spreading, and it's spreading as people pray, and the gospel is proclaimed, and disciples are being made. The problem is there's other things that the church ought to be doing, and not all of these are getting done. And so, the twelve summon the full number of the disciples. They don't want to do this all on their own, so they bring all the other believers in. And they say this, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's been their focus and that needs to continue to be their focus if the church is going to continue in their mission. So, just quick question, can you relate to this? Maybe you can relate to this because you've been in a position of leadership. And you've heard complaining, grumbling, murmuring of people uh, that, that you are to be caring for. And you feel bad that something that should be getting done is not getting done. But you also feel torn because you have other responsibilities that you need to attend to. So you can maybe relate to how the apostles would be feeling here. You can also maybe relate to, to these first couple of verses because maybe you've been in a position before where you've had real needs. Needs that aren't being met. And maybe there have been somebody that, that in, like in this case, spoke up and said, hey, something needs to be done. There's these people and they have real needs and nobody's meeting them. So I think a lot of us could probably relate in one way or another to this situation here in the first couple of verses. So there's a problem. The problem is that important things are being neglected. Quick point of application before we move on to the next verses. We need to pay attention to the needs of others. I think that's one thing, I, as I was reading this, I was just recognizing this, especially in a time like we're living in right now. I think it's good for us to be reminded that we ought to take notice of the needs of others. If you look back at verses 1 and 2, it says there that uh, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. So it doesn't seem that the complaining is being done by the widows themselves. But instead, it's done by other Hellenists, other Greek-speaking Jewish believers are noticing that the widows aren't being cared for. See, they're noticing the needs of others. And sometimes in life, our focus becomes so much on our own selves and our own needs that we totally fail to be paying attention to the needs of of others. You know, uh, I'm thankful that a lot of people in our church are attentive to the needs of others. In fact, I could tell you that, that I've gotten more phone calls during these last five or six weeks with people offering to help than I have 
gotten phone calls from people who are in need of help. A dear lady in our church called me the other day and said, anyone need anything to be picked up? We're always out driving and we'd love to help somebody out. Anybody lost a job? They need 50 bucks? We can give them 50 bucks. Anyone I could call? Those are the kind of calls that I get and I'm thankful that our church is the kind of church that is attentive to the needs of others and seeks to meet them if and when we can. It would have been easy, especially in this case, in in verses 1 and 2, it's especially easy to miss out on the needs of others that are different from us. Like I said, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but it was a certain people group, uh, the Jewish believers who spoke Greek that were the ones who were being neglected. When when there's a language barrier, that makes it harder to understand what the needs of some others are might be, but it's important for us to pay attention to the needs of others, even others who might be different from us. So, do you have needs? Uh, Maybe you're one of the people like, hey, I'm a person with a need. Uh, You could murmur and grumble and complain about it, or or you could bring it to us, because we do. We have people ready and willing to help meet your needs. We need to know about what your needs are so that we can address them. Just as the disciples here were being made aware of a need that existed there in the church that they needed to address. So, the apostles had a lot on their plates. And, uh, and now there's a new problem. So what are they going to do? That's next. Verses 3 to 6. The solution. There were important things being neglected, but now important things are going to be addressed. In verses 3 to 6. How will they address it? Note that there's a process. Verse 3 says this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you, and then at the end of the verse it says this, whom we will appoint to this duty. So notice what they're doing. They're not ignoring the need, saying, listen, we got way more important things to deal with than a food distribution program. That's not our department. Leave us alone. They don't do that. No, they gather a number of people together, and they give responsibility to the people. It's a congregational form of church government, it seems, here in the first church there in Jerusalem. Therefore, brothers, they say, pick out from among you. You need to, they're forming a nominating committee, right? This is what you need to do. In the end, the apostles are going to do the appointing, whom we will appoint to this duty, but you you select them. Now, not, don't, don't just pick anybody, because the other thing we need to note is there's qualifications. These servants have certain qualifications. In this case, here's what it is. Seven men of good repute. That means having a good reputation. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom. They need to be believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, and be wise men. Right? So this is what they're called to. There are, there's a process, there's qualifications, and I love how the apostles are taking this seriously. They're not shrugging it off like, no, that's not our department. We don't have to deal with that. That's not it. No, they're addressing them and addressing the issue clearly. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This, this situation has helped them to see and even maybe clarify a little bit. This is what we're called to. We're called to focus primarily to be devoting ourselves to the ministry of the Word and to prayer. This is what they've seen God use to build up the church and they must continue to do that work. And then verse 5. Verse 5 begins this way. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. I think it's 
Interesting to note that because, like I said before, it's a threat to unity when there's a lot of murmuring and grumbling and complaining. But it's also a great encouragement to the church when leaders of the church are attentive to the needs of the people in the church. When those needs are brought forth and the leaders seek to do something about it. That's what happens here. When the leaders are addressing this issue, unity in the church is maintained. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they go about doing what they were told to do. And that is choosing. And we're listed here, seven men. Just to note, Stephen and Philip are going to be main characters in the next couple of chapters of Acts. The rest of them we don't hear anything more about. But the other thing maybe to note about these, it does seem like all of these names are Greek names. Remember who was being left out in the feeding program? It was the Greek-speaking or Hellenistic widows who were being left out. Interesting, isn't it, that the ones that they would select then to oversee this program are, yes, men of good reputation, men who are full of the Spirit and of wisdom, but also seem to be men, at least with some sort of a Hellenistic background themselves. Even one of them, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, he's not even from Jerusalem uh, itself, and he's been a, a convert to Judaism. All right, so that's interesting. Verse 6 then says this, Then these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. They took this very seriously, recognizing that these men are being commissioned to a vital ministry of the church, so they lay their hands on them and pray for them. Another quick note of application before we move on to the last verse. Do you note here in Acts chapter 6 how important it is for the church to have a healthy functioning structure? There's great growth taking place in the church in Jerusalem. And that's a great thing. But that great growth is going to require some structure underneath it in order to sustain the growth that's taking place. And I can just tell you, I am so grateful to be a part of a church. You don't know how good it is to be a part of a church that has a healthy, functioning church structure with healthy, functioning church leaders. Our church is so blessed to have elders. Elders who focus on the spiritual needs of the church, primarily devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. To have deacons and then to have deaconesses. Uh, now, I should mention, that word deacon is not used in this passage in the noun form like that. But the verb form of the word is used in verse 2. And many point to this as kind of the establishment of the role of deacon within the local church. A lot more of that will be laid out clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But I would just say now that I'm so, so grateful to be a part of a church with faithful deacons. It's good for our church. And in fact, actually, I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to have you... Take a look at a video earlier this morning. I just talked to one of our deacons, Jeff, uh, about the role that he has in the church. And so he's going to share a little bit about what deacons do and why the ministry of deacons is vital to our local church. So let's listen into what Jeff has. Yeah, so what do deacons in our church do? And then what is your role specifically as a deacon? So as far as deacons within the Iowa Falls E Free Church, um, we are the overseers, so to speak, of the physical needs of the church. Um, the church building, um, the, uh, the um, physical properties of the church. Um, specific to my position, I am the treasurer, and so I oversee the uh, financial aspects, making sure bills are paid, approved, um, 
all with the assistance of an accountant uh, that helps us manage payroll, especially with that, so I don't have to worry about that. But then also a larger part is just managing the um, uh, giving and tracking the tithing uh, that occurs within Iowa Falls E-Free Church. Excellent. And you do a great job. So thanks for all your work, Thank Jeff. You. And, uh, and then maybe even just more generally, why, why does our church need deacons and how do deacons really help us advance the mission of the church? So, as you often mention, um, the mission of the church is to know Christ and to make Christ known. Um, deacons, again, serving and helping to um, manage the physical properties allow the elders to have the spiritual oversight. And just as it talks in Acts uh, 6, 1-7, through we don't want to neglect the Word of God. And so as deacons, we can um, manage some of the business-like aspects of the church um, to more or less open up and allow the elders to, again, oversee the spiritual um, side of things. I'm so grateful for Jeff and the other deacons in our church. And, uh, yeah, so thank you, Jeff. Thank you, many others who serve. Not everybody has the title of deacon. Only a few people do. We also have deaconesses, but we have so many people who serve in so many different ways. And like I said, a healthy church structure is so vital for the growth of the church to continue. There was a book that sold a lot of copies back in 2009. So this is 11 years ago now. Uh, it's a book called The Trellis and the Vine. And then the big idea of that book is that the, the work of the church ought to be focused on. Everybody in the church ought to be focused on vine growth. That is this work of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. That's not the job of like four or five guys in the church. That's the job of the whole church. But there also needs to be attention, like I said, underneath this kind of vine, in order for a vine, just imagine a vine, in order for a vine to continue to grow, it needs to have something to spread out on. So there needs to be some structure, a trellis, underneath the vine, giving that vine structure. And I'm so grateful that our church has grown in part, I think, because of this healthy structure. But we need to recognize as well that we need to make sure that we're all doing this vine work. Maybe we all might not preach the word like some of the elders and, and pastors in the church would, but we are all to do this work of making disciples. And this unique time for us right now is a good time for us to check and see. I've, I've been doing some reflecting. How are we doing at this? Like, have we, have we done a good enough job of discipling men and women in our church so that in homes right now, when the church is unable to meet, our kids still hearing the gospel and being discipled because it wasn't just the job of their Sunday school teacher and Awana leader, but because dad knows Jesus and dad is taking time to teach his kids the gospel at home? Have we prepared dads for this work? Is, are those who have a bit more free time now in our church, are they using some of that time to encourage and build up other believers, to reach out to lost people with the gospel? I wonder if we've done that well enough. And I wonder if there might be some changes we would make as we get back together after all this time so that we could be better prepared for a time like this should a time like that ever come. Now, I mentioned this book, and I've got to share a little bit of the end of this book with you. Like I mentioned, written in 2009. But in the conclusion of the book, I want you to just listen to this because it's super interesting. Remember, 11 years ago, this book is written. Here's what it says. Imagine that a pandemic swept through your part of the world and that all public assemblies 
of more than three people were banned by the government for reasons of public health and safety. And let's say that due to some catastrophic combination of local circumstances, this ban had to remain in place for 18 months. I hope that's not what happened. How would your congregation of 120 members continue to function with no regular church gatherings of any kind and no home groups except for groups of three? So they're asking this question. Now this is all hypothetical. You know, 11 years ago, they're writing this. It says, you could, of course, revert to the ancient practice of visiting your congregation house to house or driveway to driveway like we're doing and door knocking in the local area to contact new people. But how, as a pastor, could you possibly meet with and teach all 120 adults in your congregation, let alone their children? And so then they go through and say, what would you have to do to kind of get something like this set up? Are, are, we, are we structuring the ministry of our church well enough to be preparing people to be disciples who make disciples? And they end this way. It would be a lot of personal contact and a lot of one-to-one -one meetings to fit in. But remember, there would be no services to, to run, no committees, no council, no seminars, no home groups, no working bees. In fact, no group activities or events of any kind to organize, administer, drum up support for, or attend. Just personal teaching and discipling and training your people in turn to be disciple makers. Here's the interesting question. After 18 months, when the ban was lifted and you were able to recommence Sunday gatherings and all the rest of the meetings and activities of church life, what would you do differently? And something I'm going to be thinking about that I think our leaders will need to be thinking about in the days to come. But this is a time for us to acknowledge and give God thanks for the fact that we do have a steady, healthy, functioning church structure under us that I think will allow continued growth to happen. But are we properly training those in the church for this work to continue. Now, all of this stuff working together, here's how the passage ends. We've got a problem. There's important things that are being neglected. A solution. The leaders in the church are deciding we're going to address these things, and then a result comes. The result is important things are being accomplished. Take a look at verse 7. This is beautiful. Actually, we'll see three things there. It says this. And the word of God continued to increase. So result number one, the word of God continues to increase. How does it continue to increase? Well, it's interesting. It doesn't say this right after a time where there's been a lot of preaching. A lot of times, you know, Peter preaches a message. He calls people to repent and all sorts of people are coming to faith in Christ. This time when it says that the word of God continued to increase, it happens after a feeding program for widows is established. Right? And some, some leaders are selected. Here's the second thing. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Look at the fruit of what's happening here. And then even this final thing. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So all of these things happening. Word of God increasing. Disciples multiplying greatly. And even some of the priests, those who maybe have formerly been opposed to Jesus and his followers, are now coming to faith in Jesus. How is all this happening? Well, it seems to be happening. I don't think it's accidental that verse 7 follows verse 6, or verses 3 through 6, that these real needs in the church are being addressed. You know, Jesus often criticized uh, those in religious leadership there in Jerusalem 
that they were very religious about during doing certain things. Uh, they would tithe on their cumin, tithe on their mint, but they were failing to love other people. I wonder if it wasn't that in part that these priests saw the way that the leaders, even these apostles, who had all sorts of responsibility, were making sure that the needs of widows were, were cared for. I wonder if they didn't notice that, and that was part of what drew them to faith in Jesus. All sorts of things it could have been. But I love how the church continued to do the work it needed to do at all sorts of different levels, so the disciples, the apostles, could continue to do the work that they needed to do, uh, which is primarily focused on prayer and ministry of the Word. So, and with uh, some application, here's where we've been. Important things were neglected, important things were addressed, important things were accomplished. Here's the big idea today. The mission of the church advances, and unity is protected when wise Spirit-filled servants care for the physical needs and free others to devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the Word. Here's the application then. You see why it's important that the whole church uses gifts to multiply disciples? Disciples are multiplied in Jerusalem there, yes, through the skillful, Spirit-filled preaching of men like Peter, but also through the servant-hearted work of men like Stephen and Philip and the five others who were selected to organize a feeding program so that all of the widows got what they needed. The importance of the whole church using gifts to multiply disciples. I'm grateful for God's work in our church over the years. You know, a lot of churches, when they talk about their history, if you read it, it would be like a list of here's who our pastor was, and then we had this pastor, then we had this pastor. We were in this building, then we were in that building. We don't have much of a written church history. But what I'm grateful for is that the work of this church, the work of Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church, is not just done by a pastor and then the next pastor. The work of Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church year after year after year, has been done through the faithful ministry of elders and deacons and deaconesses, of Sunday school teachers, of Awana volunteers, nursery volunteers, prayer warriors, uh, moms who call other moms, widows who call other widows, people who invite others over for dinner, dads who seek to lead their family well. This is what it looks like. Many different people using many different gifts in order to serve the church that more and more people might come to know Christ and make Him known. So church, let's make sure we're not getting lazy in these unique times. That's possible, isn't it? That we could get lazy in these times. But are we being attentive to the needs of others? What needs do others have? Do I notice? What can we do to meet those needs? What gifts do you have? Are you using them? May God be at work building His church through imperfect but willing servants like you and I for the glory of His name. Let's pray. Oh, Father, that is our desire. Our desire is that Jesus would be glorified in all things, uh, that as you, by your Spirit, build up your church through Spirit-filled servants of various kinds, that we would all be about the work of making disciples, and that we would take whatever role that we're given, whatever opportunity we're given to serve, that we would serve in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus, in a way that encourages and builds up the body. We can't do that alone. We need the help of your Spirit, and so I pray that you would do that now. Uh, 
in part so that our church can grow. We want our church to grow. We want to see the, the, the body of Christ globally grow. And so I pray that you would help us to serve well in order that that might happen for the sake of your name. Amen.